Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner, In Defense of Christianity. This segment is from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Book 1, Canto 9, Part 1, Episode 23. Podcast 155 is entitled, King Arthur's History. In last week's episode, Una commands that Duessa strip off her royal robes. While wearing her queenly attire, Duessa was strikingly beautiful and alluring. She used her charms to seduce men, even the Red Cross Knight. However, Duessa is the whore of Babylon spoken of by John the Revelator. Without her royal attire, she is revealed to be hideously ugly and repulsive to anyone who sees her. She symbolizes the ugliness of sin, which is often camouflaged by earthly habiliments. Ashamed under the eyes of heaven, she hides in the desert. With the giant dead and the beast upon which Duessa rode heavily wounded, the castle is left vacant. King Arthur, the squire, Una, the Red Cross Knight, and the dwarf remain while the Red Cross Knight gets back some of his physical strength. Spencer summarizes the theme of Canto Nine. He loves the lineage Arthur tells, the knight's knit friendly hands. Sir Trevison flies from despair, whom Red Cross Knight withstands. The virtues of King Arthur are highly praised. Scholars tell us that the goodly golden chain symbolizes chivalry, or knightly honor the bond that unites all virtues. In the days of chivalry, the only protection people had were the knights in shining armor, among whom the noble King Arthur stands foremost. Other knights, of course, stand out. Sir Lancelot, Sir Galahad, St. George, Sir Gawain. The knights represent the best of Christian virtues. For Christians, the greatest knight of all is Michael the Archangel, who first fought the dragon in the war in heaven. The other stories of knights and dragons derive from that first account. In Revelation 12 we read, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That same Michael who led the war in heaven will also lead the last great battle as recorded in Daniel 12. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that asleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars for ever and ever. St. George, who slays the dragon, is a type of Michael, often depicted by artists. The Red Cross Knight is a type of St. George. The Red Cross Knight symbolizes holiness, and it is his mission to free Una's parents from the dragon who has held them captive for four years. Una's parents are the king and queen of Eden, which symbolizes all mankind. We are held captive by the dragon. Una symbolizes truth. The Red Cross Knight symbolizes holiness. And King Arthur symbolizes all the virtues because he wears the full armor of God. He is praised for delivering the Red Cross Knight from the giant's dungeon and exposing the ugliness of the witch Duessa, who symbolizes lies or duplicity or deceit. O oh, goodly golden chain, wherewith ye fur the virtues linked are in lovely wise, and noble minds of yore allayed were in brave pursuit of chivalrous emprise, that none did offer safety despise, nor aid envy to him in need that stands, but friendly each did others praise devise, how to advance with favorable hands, as this good prince redeemed the Red Cross Knight from bands. After King Arthur, the squire, the dwarf, Una, and the Red Cross Knight had rested in the dead giant's castle, they decided to leave and part their separate ways. However, before they separate, Una pleads with King Arthur to recount his history and his lineage so that he will never be forgotten. Storytelling is very common in knight errantry. History is mostly oral, and the stories of famous exploits are often put to rhyme in music and sung by traveling minstrels. This is early in King Arthur's career. Therefore, King Arthur was a stranger to Una, and she is anxious that his courage in delivering the Red Cross Knight should never be forgotten. The stories of brave knights were often recounted as a lesson for others to follow. Who, when their powers impaired through labor long, with due repast, they had recurred well, and that weak captive, white, now wexed strong, them list no longer there at leisure dwell, but forward fare as their adventure fell. But ere they parted, Una fair besought that stranger knight his name and nation tell, lest so great good, as he for her had wrought, should die unknown and buried be in thankless thought. However, King Arthur is uncertain of his lineage. In Thomas Mallory's romantic version, Mort de Arthur, perhaps the most famous of the King Arthur tales. Arthur is the son of King Uther Pendragon and Egraine, the wife of the Duke, Tintagel. The quintessential magician Merlin orchestrated the affair. The Duke is killed, and Uther Pendragon and Egraine marry. Merlin takes the child Arthur and gives him to Sir Ector to raise. The historical Arthur is a heavily debated issue with no final conclusions. The literary King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table are famous worldwide. King Arthur answers Una. Fair virgin, said the prince, ye me require a thing without the compass of my wit. For both the lineage and the certain sire from which I sprung from me are hidden yet. For all so soon as life did me admit into this world and showed heaven's light from mother's pap I taken was unfit, and straight delivered to a fairy knight, 
to be upbrought in gentle throughs and martial might. Arthur tells Una that he was raised by Timon, the greatest expert in war that ever lived, as well as the wisest man on earth. Timon trained him in the virtues of chivalry. Unto old Timon he me brought by live. Old Timon, who in youthly years had been in warlike feats the expertest man alive, and in the wisest now on earth, I ween. His dwelling is low in a valley green under the foot of Raran mossy hoar, from whence the river Dee as silver clean his tumbling billows roll with gentle roar. There all my days he trained me up in virtuous lore. However, continues Arthur, Merlin the great magician was the real person in charge of his upbringing. Merlin, who oversaw all of Arthur's training, often visited Arthur. It was Merlin who framed his education, all directed to preparing Arthur to one day be king. Merlin tutored the tutors. Arthur often asked Merlin about his lineage, but all that Merlin would tell him was that he was the son of a king, but he would not tell him who that king was. That would come at a later day. Thither the great magician Merlin came, as was his use, oft times to visit me, for he had charge my discipline to frame and tutor's nurture to oversee. Him oft and oft I ask in privacy of what loins and what lineage I did spring, whose awesome bade me still assured be that I was son and heir unto a king, at time, in her just term, the truth to light should bring. The theme of unknown birth is common in folklore. Many stories are written about children raised as commoners, but are indeed secretly children of royal lineage. The King Arthur tales came out of a very strong Christian tradition and teach Christian values. Fundamental to all Christians is the idea that all of us who came to earth came from a royal family, the greatest royal family of all, that of God himself, who is our Father in heaven. This is alluded to by Peter. Second Peter 2 but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter tells us that we all have a divine nature. Second Peter 1 Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Christian tradition holds that we are children of God, temporarily placed on earth to be tested. The primary message of Peter is that though we are all children of God, to return to live with God, we must, as young Arthur, prove ourselves to be worthy through obedience to the commandments of God in his absence. A veil was drawn over our minds, causing us to forget our royal lineage. But when the veil is lifted after the resurrection, we will know our true lineage. Peter continues. 1 Peter 1. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And, according to Christian teachings, all those who keep the commandments of God and live worthy will be crowned kings and queens and sit upon thrones in heaven. This was taught from the beginning. 1 Samuel 2, 8 He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill, to set them among princes, and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. Revelation 3.21 To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. Revelation 1 And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Those are the traditions out of which the King Arthur stories were written. We do not yet know our true lineage, but as recorded in 1 John 3, John reminds us that when the veil is lifted, we will see God as he is, for we shall be like him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope, in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Una tells Arthur that he learned his lessons well from his great tutors. She asked what brought him to fairyland. King Arthur responded that it was difficult to read the course of heaven or purposes of God. We cannot always know the secret meaning of the ways of God who rules our lives and our thoughts. Well, worthy imp, said the lady gent, and pupil fit for such a tutor's hand. But what adventure? Or what high intent hath brought you hither into fairyland, a red Prince Arthur, crown of martial band? Full hard it is, quoth he, to read aright the course of heavenly cause, or understand the secret meaning of the eternal might that rules men's ways and rules the thoughts of living white. Hyperbole is part of the lore of knight errantry. Arthur is not sure whether it was from fatal deep foresight on his part or his love for the Queen of Fairyland. He confesses that it hasn't yet been revealed to him why he is in Fairyland. He is blessed, however, to have helped Una in her distress in freeing the Red Cross Knight. Una praises King Arthur and asks how such a courteous knight, the gentlest on earth, could suffer such grief. For whether he thought fatal deep foresight me hither sent, for cause to me unguessed, or that fresh bleeding wound 
which day and night whilesome doth rankle in my riven breast, with forced fury following his behest, me hither brought my ways yet never found, you to have helped, I hold myself yet blessed. Ah, courteous knight, quoth she, what secret wound could ever find to grieve the gentlest heart on ground? King Arthur tells Una that she awakens the sleeping sparks within him. Once awakened, those sparks will grow into a conflagration, which will never abate till they dry up all the moisture in his body. Such is the power of love. However, in telling of his love, it glows. Therefore, he tells Una to listen carefully while he relates the story of his life. Dear dame, quoth he, you sleeping sparks awake, which troubled once into huge flames will grow. Ne ever will their fervent fury slake, till living moisture into smoke do flow, and wasted life do lie in ashes low. Yet sithen silence lesseneth not my fire, but told it flames, and hidden it does glow. I will reveal what ye so much desire. Ah, love, lay down thy bow, the whiles I may respire. Arthur, a precocious lad, was very young when courage first came to his manly chest. First it was warmed by kindly heat that kindles love in every breast. But his wise tutor, old Timmons, advised that by reason he should subdue those flames before the rage grew to great unrest. In other words, he is too young to strike out on his adventures. He must be patient. It was in freshest flower of youthly years when courage first doth creep in manly chest. Then first the coal of kindly heat appears to kindle love in every living breast. But me had warned old Timon's wise behest, those creeping flames by reason to subdue before their rage grew to so great unrest as miserable lovers used to rue, which still wex old in woe whilst woe still wexeth new. To put the above in some perspective, remember the role of Gloriana, the queen of fairyland. It was Gloriana to whom Una went to find a knight to free her parents from the dragon. The fairy queen appointed the Red Cross Knight to go with her. King Arthur feels that same love for the queen of fairyland. He will eventually become the greatest knight of all in fairyland. But that desire to become that knight came too early. That is why Timmons advised him to calm the desire before it overpowered him. In other words, he wasn't yet ready to set out on such an adventure. His love for Gloriana, which symbolizes God, queen, and country, is a very strong passion. In the following stanza, Arthur tells how he quenched those fires at the advice of Timmons until he was fully prepared, though it was very hard for him to wait. The fires inside were strong, so strong that God himself grieved at his loss of liberty but he soon became governor of his will. Then idle name of love and lover's life, as loss of time and virtue's enemy, I ever scorned and joyed to stir up strife. In midst of their mournful tragedy, I want to laugh when them I heard to cry and blow the fire which them to ashes brent. There God himself grieved at my liberty, shot many a dart at me with fire's intent. 
but I them warded all with wary government. Please join us next week as we continue the story of Arthur, Una, and the Red Cross Knight. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.